Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is The Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. And we define public education in a very particular way as public in purpose and outcome. Above all, public in access. And it can only be public in access if it is genuinely free. If it is genuinely free for all children from primary to the um, tertiary level. It should be public in ownership and control. And it should be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that's publicly accountable. Well, we know that it is struggling to be both public and to get enough money, particularly for disadvantaged children. But this has been an extraordinary and very interesting week politically for Australian education. There's a press release 704 that's gone up on our website at www.adogs.info, which is the dog's uh, view, in part, on what has happened And it is entitled Gonski 2.0, Testing the Mythological Strength of the Catholic Vote. Flanked by businessman David Gonski, the same Gonski who conducted a landmark review of school funding for the Gillard government, last Tuesday Mr Turnbull said that he would succeed where Labor failed by delivering a genuine genuine needs-based funding model. Here's Mr Turnbull saying this. And that's why the Quality Schools Initiative we're unveiling today will increase the Commonwealth Government's recurrent funding for schools by 75% over the decade. It will ensure that funding is needs-based, equitable and targeted to lift the results for all Australian school children. And it will ensure that students with greater needs receive higher levels of funding from the Commonwealth Government. This reform will finally deliver on David Gonski's vision six years ago after his landmark review of Australian school education. Turnbull has pushed Labor into a corner and it's going to be very interesting to know what the Greens think of it all. Shorten, who's an old boy of St Ignatius, has been bleating about poor Catholic children. And Plibersek has been talking about um, a black hole of funding. But she also went as a good Catholic girl who went to a good Catholic school. 
But these poor Catholic children are in public schools anyway. There aren't too many poor Catholic children in Catholic schools anymore. But the dogs have got long memories in all of this. We noticed that echoing Kim Beasley Sr. and Peter Carmel of 1973 needs policy fame, and Mark Latham's hit list of the 2004 federal election, Turnbull has declared that he will bring the school funding wars to an end. <laughs> Good luck to him. <laughs> in a stunning turnaround that will see the government pump an extra $19 billion into schools over the next decade, but leave about 350 wealthy Catholic and private schools allegedly worse off. Now, in 1973, it was mainly Protestant schools that lost state aid. There were a few Catholic schools like uh, Riverview and Loretto Convent, and they're certainly still in the mix. But these Protestant schools that were labelled Class A, and they wanted to be Class B and get more money, joined with the Catholic bishops to rewrite the needs policy into a greeds policy. Now, in those days, certainly from 1973 to 1978, some funds trickled through to disadvantaged children in public education. And quite a few uh, state school teachers got some rather nice jobs. Uh, But it was a greeds policy. And in 1978, with uh, Tannock as the uh, president of the or the head of the Schools Commission, it certainly went bad. And the Catholic education officers in those days gamed the system like they do now with many bottom-of-the-schoolyard schemes. Dogs exposed these schemes in a series of paid advertisements in the 70s and 80s until, in 1984... Van Davey and Joan Brown, who were the state school representatives on the Schools Commission, wrote dissenting reports and the Schools Commission died a quite sudden death because it was no longer doing the job of just keeping things quiet. But Howard in the 90s felt free to exacerbate the divisions between the public and private funding arrangements. And the state aid mess got smellier and smellier until now, with all of the facts and figures up on the My School website, it's pretty high. In 2004, Latham lost the election, not as Gillard mistakenly believed on his wealthy school hit list issue. If anything, his hit list gained Latham votes, and there is evidence to this effect. But although Gillard told Gonski that no school should be worse off, she still demanded facts and figures, and these are now readily available. The Catholic and the Independent, so-called Independent School Avarice, is available for all to see. It's even available on the front page of the Australian newspaper of May the third, two thousand and seventeen. If you get if you get the Australian and this day uh, I did, you will find that Loretto Kirribilli is overfunded two hundred and eighty three point one percent, Monte Sant'Angelo two hundred and seventy seven percent, Riverview 
Abbott's alma mater, by the way, 263.1%, just to name a few. Uh, For those of you in Victoria, you might be interested in some of the Victorian ones. The Christchurch Grammar School is overfunded 130.4%. Lauriston Girls Schools, 130%. Um, Villa Maria Society or St Paul's Paul's College, uh, 165.3%. And Melbourne Grammar is overfunded 143.7%. Now, these are very big figures. (laughs) And um, there's, uh, you know, it's looking pretty bad, isn't it? The Archbishop's Christian charitable clothes, if visible are now in tatters. Even Tim Hawkes from the King's School Parramatta, the oldest school in Australia, uh, perhaps one of the uh, schools for the establishment alongside Geelong Grammar, has has, uh, some integrity. And he's prepared to describe the Turnbull's requirements that all schools be guided by one funding policy as a, quote, excellent initiative. So perhaps finally, the diabolical Protestant Catholic Alliance, which has fueled the commodification and marketing of education for the wealthy at the expense of all the rest, is showing a strain, at least in Sydney. The bleating of the Catholic education spokesman about fairness for Catholic children is ringing very hollow. Where was the fairness in all the decades since 1960s when public money for the disadvantaged children in Catholic schools was channelled into new needy secondary schools and existing wealthy fee-paying institutions while the poor Catholic children were sent off to the public sector? Where was the fairness when vulnerable children were sexually assaulted by clergy? The fat lady has not yet sung, and the Greens in the Senate are thinking, even though Abbott is saying that this will split the Labor Party, or he will try to make it split the Liberal Party, I'm sorry. The commentary on this move by the Turnbull government has only just begun. As Chris Bonner has noted in his and our Media Watch, there's uh, a great deal of, uh, of commentary already and if you go to our website you will see the list of all of the people who are commenting. So watch this space on the DOGS website at www.adogs.info. Back in 2013, the Abbott government made Gonski promises before, the last ele- before that election and then reneged on it, didn't they? And as the dogs have always pointed out, Gonski 1.0 was a thinly veiled voucher system anyway. What should Gons- why should Gonski 2.0 be any better? The only answer to the schooling problem is that discovered by Australia itself in the years 1872 to 1964. It's also the one that's been found in Germany, Finland and those countries with high educational standards. Sole public funding of a free, secular and universal public education system is the answer. 
So we'll have a little bit of music uh, so that you can uh, digest <laughs> this extraordinary move by the Turnbull government, which, if you think about it, makes some sort of political sense at least. And then Robert will be back with his take on what is going on. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S, on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. And it's always good to have Jean with her, with her press release intro. As Jean has probably implied, we're living in very interesting times. 
with um, Mr Birmingham and Mr Turnbull and Mr Gonski all getting together to create a new fundamentally, I don't know, brilliant and exciting new education <laughs> policy. Um, look, as Jane promised, I will be giving you my thoughts on this. But before I do, I'd like to give you the thoughts of other people. Um, I'd like to give you the thoughts of Mr Birmingham. I'd like to give you the thoughts of Mr Gonski. I'd like to give you the thoughts of Mr Bonner. I'd like to give you the thoughts of Carmen Lawrence, Peter Goss, Meredith Pierce, Jim McMorrow and Tom, Tom Bentley, all of whom are either directly involved in creating this situation um, or indeed implementing it or indeed commenting on it. Um, and, be, and when that, all that's done, I'd like to give you my thoughts, um, which relate to an experience I had with um, Mr Gonski back when he's, he was politically irrelevant in 2015. And here I've got uh, my thoughts that I put up on on the website uh, and um, Dale will read you those. <laughs> the Turnbull government is committing new record growing funding for Australian schools. Funding that will grow from $17.5 billion this year in 2017 to $22.1 billion by 2021, growing through to $30.6 billion by 2027. It is a 10-year reform agenda that ensures ongoing, consistent, real growth in funding for Australian schools, above inflation, above wages growth, providing additional resources. Yes, that was Mr Birmingham, courtesy of news.com. Um, Mr Birmingham's approach to it, he thinks it's all wonderful and good. Um, he would. He's the, he's the author of it. Um, I think it's interesting, and Gene's analysis of it, I think, gives you the bare bones. But let's just hear what Mr Gonski himself I'm um, here in 2017, thinks about this whole process himself. I'm very pleased to hear that the Turnbull government has accepted the fundamental recommendations of our 2011 report, and particularly regarding a needs-based situation. Mr Gonski, um, now one thing I noticed about what Mr Gonski has to say about this is that he says nothing. Um, that is his role, indeed, um, in, when it comes to dealing with the press and the government. His role is to say nothing, and he succeeds at it so well um, that the government has got him back to do another review, apparently. Well, if you listen to Mr. Mr. Birmingham and Mr. Gonski, you, you find nothing out at all. So we're just going to go to some commentators that we trust, and some that we don't, so we can get an alternate sort of perspective on things. The first one, of course, is Chris Bonner, and um, Gene was alluding to this. If you want to get the details of Chris Bonner's perspective, you can find that out at our website at www.adogs.info. But you're not on the website at the moment. You're, on the, you're listening to the radio, so I'll tell you what he thinks. Chris Bonner says, look, it's terrific that we're going to get a second Gonski review because he says we can't stuff this up twice, can we? Can't we? <laughs> yes, indeed. You live uh, in hope. Well, indeed. But he says as long as we learn from previous mistakes... Gonski Mark I taught us about equity and why we, why we won't lift the country if we don't lift the strugglers. And, but, of course, we didn't do that in Gonski Mark I. He said the first review was dogged by labour mismanagement, the coalition's lack of interest and the antics of vested interests. I would add as a comment to what Chris is implying there, the vested interests of the, st- the private school lobbies. Now, a second review, a second Gonski, might work if all these players are kept at a distance. But it will be much harder. The problems unearthed by the first review have worsened and new ones have emerged. Our schools are even more like more socially and educationally divided than they were in 2011. Quite, quite stunningly so, I suggest. Mm. Now, lifting the strugglers is never easy, um, and now it's much harder than it was back in 2011. 
And little of this change will happen unless there's cooperation between governments, including joint funding arrangements. We also have to stop over-investing in advantaged schools without any gain in student achievement. It is, in fact, a massive waste. Much of that is new and is bigger. Much of the waste that's going on has happened since the first Gonski review. He says there's so many questions and even more elusive solutions, but he says at least we have a chance now to get it right. And surely, he says, we can't fail twice. So that's Chris Botter's opinion. He's very much still sitting on the fence. Devil's in the detail. Let's see if we can't stuff this up. And pointing out quite rightly, as we often point out, that the problems in 2017 are much worse than they were in 2011 when Gonski was rolled out to solve those problems. But the problems themselves are worse. Now, Carmen Lawrence, who is in fact the former Western Australian Premier and a former Federal Labor Minister, um, and was in fact a member of the original Gonski Review Panel in 2011, and she says there's a pea and thimble trickery going on in this whole process. She says, and I quote, Although the lack of detail in the Turnbull government's school funding package does not allow for a careful, systematic assessment of its likely benefits and harms, what is clear is that the announcement was meant to signify, as was the higher education announcement on the previous day, that despite the cuts, it would have been far worse under Tony Abbott. So thank your lucky stars. <laughs> However, she says, what is clear <coughs> excuse me, is there's no commitment to a systematic and agreed formula for providing extra funds where there are aggregations of disadvantage. One of the most important recommendations of the original Gonski panel. Nor, she says, is there any commitment to implementing one of the core recommendations, that is, to establish an independent body to regularly review and set resourcing standards indexation and loadings. That would just be another schools commission that would be stacked with private school people. Well, would, could, should, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, as an idea or as a functional thing, it just doesn't exist. So, um, Jean, I, I suggest that, yes, everything is open to corruption. I suggest that perhaps that's less open to corruption than what we currently have, but we don't have it anyway, so there's no point talking about it. And there's no mechanism to ensure state and commonwealth governments are jointly engaged in reaching conclusions about funding school programs over the longer term. So it hasn't solved the basic problem that in Australia, for some strange peculiar fate, state governments fund state schools and the federal government funds private schools. Not entirely, but in the majority. Now back to Carmen. She says, far from ending the funding wars, this approach means they'll continue to be predictable, acrimonious feature of a federation. As it stands, the proposal also represents a significant cut to funding over the forward estimates, with most of the changes towards greater equity being made well after the next election. And she says this is a pea and thimble trick here, and that's what she thinks. Now, Peter Goss from the Grattan Institute, and he's also the person who's part of their school education program director there at the Grattan Institute. Now, if you want to know what the Grattan Institute is, and we often talk about them, the Grattan Institute is basically 15 million bucks that's endowed from federal and Victorian governments. And in order to safeguard its independence, it has a board that controls this endowment. So it's a federally funded independent research think tank. That's what the Grattan Institute is. Just around the corner from this radio station, just by the way, in Collingwood. Now, Peter Goss, <clears throat> writing from just around the corner from this radio station, says, or writes, and I quote, The announcement of school funding is welcome. The Coalition has set out a 10-year goal 
of every school being consistently funded by the Commonwealth. Importantly, the Coalition will increase federal contributions to government schools from around 17% at the moment to 20% of the student resource standard, which is, in his mind, a substantial boost. How will it affect individual schools, he asks. Well, to answer his rhetorical question, he says, while the announcement is light on detail, it appears most schools will get more funding. Some overfunded schools will have their funding frozen, and a small handful of very rich private schools will lose money. Now, taking money from overfunded schools is brave, but the right call. These schools have been on a good wicket for too long. If the sweetheart deals were not overturned, it would cost the Commonwealth budget around $1.5 billion over the next 10 years. If you talk to Mr Bonner and Mr Shepherd, it's substantially more than that. $5 billion. $5 billion, yes, indeed. But let's not quibble about figures. Everyone's saying that... Well, I think it's fascinating. In this entire debate, I haven't come across a single person, not from the Grattan Institute, not from independent think tanks, not even... Um, oh, what's, his, what, what's that fellow from Sydney's name? Independent Studies Centre, what's his name? Oh, you know, the unfortunate fellow that often I, I have trouble talking about. Oh, he's, I blanked him from my mind. Kevin Donnelly. Kevin Donnelly, yeah. Even he hasn't come out and said and contested the idea that some private schools in Australia are overfunded. You're right. No one's actually arguing this point. No one's saying, oh, hang on, they're not overfunded. We, we need them. No, no one's actually saying this. Yeah. Everyone agrees that's a certain number of private schools are overfunded. It's just that we must still talk about choice and we must now feel very sorry for all those teachers in the private schools well, we'll, that are trying to do a good job. We will come to that, Jane, because I think that some other people have ideas about these poor teachers in these poor private schools who are <laughs> doing such a good job and no one loves them anymore. <laughs> Strange business. Well, anyway, the state and ter- territory governments, and I'm, I'm back here to Mr Goss at the, at the Grattan Institute, so back to him. State and territory governments are expecting to continue contributing to school funding, but their contributions are not tied to the student resource standard in the same way as under the previous model. Now, that makes sense and allows states to choose how much they want to invest in schooling. Mm-hmm. Of course, the details need to be looked at closely, but on first look, this clear, positive approach could be just what we need to get us past the squabbling on funding, a key hurdle so that we can move on to bigger issues that will really drive improvement in school education. Well, that's the point of view of the Grattan Institute, saying it's not a bad idea, but the devil's in the detail, and pointing out quite rightly that overfunded schools should get less money and will get less money under this, under this, under this model. Now, Meredith Pearce also has something to say. She's the Victorian president of the Australian Education Union, and she says this new review is nothing more than just a delaying tactic. It delays the obvious. She says, we still do not know how, much, how schools will be funded next year. All we have is another review and a promise of funding increase over 10 years. There is already a plan to lift all schools to a minimum resource standard and there are six-year agreements signed with states in 2013 and Malcolm Turnbull needs to honour them. So what about the poor teachers in our state schools? Can they be certain of a job next year? Well, that's a, that's a separate question. Well, no one really wants to talk about all the poor, nice teachers in state schools. Yeah. Well, some people want to do. Um, that, that, that troll man, what's his name? I keep forgetting it. Kevin Donnelly. Donnelly. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, I, I shouldn't be rude to him personally. I have met him personally and I didn't find him a very personable person, but that's no reason to be rude to him on the radio. Um, yeah, Kevin Donnelly talks about the horrific people who are teachers in state schools, but no one else does. 
Anyway, back to Meredith Pierce, who supports um, teachers in state schools. She said, cutting the last years of Gonski funding will cost schools $3.8 billion and hurt kids across the country. The worst affected will be the most disadvantaged and at-risk children. Schools can't wait 10 years for the resources that students need now. A student in year four today will, be left, will have left school by the time this funding has been delivered. She says if Turnbull can afford to give companies a $50 billion tax cut, he can afford to give students the support they need to succeed at school to potentially go and work in those corporations. The funding delivered so far is already lifting results. David Gonski said that schools are doing great things with their extra resources, so why does Turnbull want to delay them or deny them these, these extra fundings in the last two years of that funding review? He says this new review is only delaying tactic to avoid giving schools the funding they need. The view is only to look at how much money is spent, or how, much, or how the money is spent, not the amount. He's walking away from the principles of the federal government's working with states and territories to properly resource schools. There's been no consultation with schools or state governments on this. Not a single state supports scrapping Gonski funding. And what Moses Pierce is saying is saying if you've, you've rolled this out and you are going to take some money away from some wealthy private schools, but if you'd just done what you said you are going to do in the first place, yeah. then there'd be more money floating around anyway. Although I, I, I tend to disagree with aspects of what Meredith Pierce is saying because this review does actually look at stopping giving money to children who don't need it. Mm. Whereas the original Gonski funding, set up, by, um, set up by Julia Gillard and such like, mm. was locked in to in- increasing funding to students who don't need it on, a, on, a, on an indexed basis. The only way forward is to drive a wedge, a drive a wedge between the privileged and the rest. Uh, and this happened in 1862 to 1872 in Australia. They drove in the wedge and they eventually came up with the right answer, which was sole public funding to public schools. So this represents, to my mind, a potential... Not a very uh, strong, but a potential wedge. It does. I think Jean actually has the right of it. Do the dogs support this initiative by Birmingham, Turnbull and Gonski? The answer is no, because they're waffling around this concept of needs and they're very unwilling to, to dispense with the idea of the marketplace in the whole thing. But we'll come to that in a minute. Now... Actually, I think we'll, we'll deal with more of this commentary because it's quite a heavy subject after a little bit more music.
Jim McMorrow. Now, Jim McMorrow is the former senior advisor for school funding at the national and state level, and he's got something to say about this whole process as well. After, of course, um, thank you very much, Mr. Greg, for, 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 for playing that music for us or composing it so other people could play it and we could listen to it to calm us down before we hear what Mr. McMorrow has to say. Um, that was a piano concerto, by the way, um, uh, by, by Greg, as you probably worked out. Piano and orchestra, lovely stuff. Uh, look, McMorrow says it's promising. It's promising to see Turnbull government finally commit itself to a basic framework focused on the explicit standards of resources for all schools relative to their needs consistent with the original Gonski review. But the 10-year transition period for all schools to receive the share of resource standards to which they would be entitled may leave many students shortchanged. Those entering secondary school in 2018 will have completed their schooling before the transition period ends and without receiving their funding entitlement. The national approach envisaged by Gonski, one, the first Gonski, or they call Gonski 1.0 now, appears to be abandoned and replaced with take-it-or-leave-it positions with the states by laying down only what share the Commonwealth will contribute towards the achievement of standards. As the government will continue to underwrite the public funding of private schools, yeah. students in government schools will continue to be largely dependent on state governments for their realisation of their funding entitlements against the resource standard. And the state governments, although the Victorian government and probably the New South Wales government are quite happy at the moment because the house prices have been so high, are flush with funds. But what's going to happen when the housing costs bust? And what's going to happen when all the asset recycling stops because there's no more assets to sell off? Correct. Anyway, uh, Mr McMurray, to go back to what he was saying, um, he says this will almost certainly perpetuate resource inequalities between the sectors, which was the problem in the first place. The foreshadowed review by a new Gonski panel was welcomed but should lead to a creation of an independent school resource body as originally recommended. So he's going back to the say we need a neutral umpire, which Jean quite rightly says is going to be corrupted in any case, or is likely to be. Well, it'll be, it'll be jobs for people like Mr McMorrow too, of course, mm. because uh, the Schools Commission was used to buy off the state school people. And it succeeded. Yes, yeah, back in the day. Now, Tom Bentley, just the last commentator before I have my say. Tom Bentley, he's a policy advisor who drafts the terms of reference for the original Gonski review. Uh, interesting, because the original reference for, for the original Gonski was that no private school would ever lose any money. That was part of the original terms of reference and hamstrung Gonski when he did the review. And he now says, Mr Tom Bentley, the model now proposed would entrench huge inequality. He says this announcement is a big and welcome shift, yet it will not lead automatically to more equitable and effective distribution of fundings in Australian schools. He says, as David Gonski observed, the latest package is another step towards national consensus on a needs-based sector-blind school funding. But will it take us closer to making it a reality? The model now proposed would entrench huge inequality by locking the Commonwealth's roles as a minority funder of government schools and a majority funder of non-government schools, rather than taking shared responsibility for achieving transparent, needs-based funding across all schools. The Federal Government was the bitterest opponent of the architecture proposed by the original Gonski Review. This is back when they were in opposition. It now relies on that model, the schooling resource standard, enacted by Julia Gillard to argue that some schools are now overfunded, which they are. 
If the transition to a school resource standard can be achieved more quickly and efficiently, that would be a good thing. But simply trying to tidy up the Commonwealth's funding role and limit funding growth to real and modest increases over 10 years will not achieve the original reform goal. Funding equity for all students across all schools and all systems. It's, he's right, of course. You can't have equality of opportunity if you have schools that can charge fees. And schools? The only way that you can have any kind of equality in a, a democratic society is to have education which is free from the uh, time a child enters school to the time they leave university. And, of course, all of this this week, all that we're now talking about in schooling, has followed on what was, in fact, a statement of, against all of the youth in our universities that was made the day before. Indeed, Jean's got the point. It, it all is of a part, isn't it? These announcements aren't separate. They are together and they hint at something. Political. They hint at something political. Games. So that's what the various commentators from the left, the right and the centre and the minister and Gonski himself has to say. Now I think it's time for the dogs to have their say, or for me personally to say, yes. have, some, have something to say. Let's about hear what you have to say, Rob. What I have to say, um, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes people can accuse me of conspiracy theories, but I like to put pieces together. And I'm going to start with Mr Gonski himself. Now we've, in various shows, um, described who Mr Gonski is. Um, Gene would would describe him as what is it, Eastern, Eastern Shore, Sydney sort of... Upper class something or other, I don't know what. Courtier. He's a, he's a businessman, I know, courtier. That's uh, how he, he describes himself. No, 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 I, I'm talking about how you describe him. That's how he describes himself. He describes himself as a courtier to power. That is his role. He is independently wealthy. He is a businessman, not an educationalist. There's no qualifications in that regard. His father was a doctor, self-made man, and he as the son has continued as a very successful businessman over the years. He's a grammar school boy who got a terrific culture shock in 2011 when he was actually confronted with children from disadvantaged families. It really shocked him what was really going on in our society because in our society the children of the wealthy no longer meet up with the children of the disadvantaged. And this is evidence in the experience that he had as part of the Gunsing Review. He saw things he'd never seen. He saw things that he didn't imagine was to be going on in Australia, and he was shocked, as were other members of the panel. And perhaps Ken Boston wasn't so much shocked because he was a state school boy and he lived 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 with us here in Australia. Gonski had lived in a subset of Australia, so he was shocked when he did the, the original review. But he does does he did and does describe himself um, as a courtier to power. Now, I know this because in 2015 I went to have a listen to Mr Gonski give a talk on a completely unrelated matter. Um, it was about launching a book about his, himself and his family, a sort of biography. Um, and in 2015, um, Mr Gonski was politically irrelevant. Um, the Gonski thing had happened, and it hadn't happened, and it had happened. And it, but he said, look, I just did what I did. I, I gave them a review, and I'm not a politician. They can do what they like. I am, I am just a courtier to power. Now, when I went around Australia, he said, at this talk, I saw things that, that shocked me and that needed to be fixed. And he drew, a very, he drew a very direct parallel, and I was surprised at this parallel. He, says, he said, in France, 
1789, there was a revolution called the French Revolution. But before that, there were causes. One of the causes was the, the, the rising of the taxes and the terrible corruption such that the poor people, the poor and the, and the educated, the people who were on the wrong side of the street, had just had enough. Actually, there, and, was, uh, there was a financial crisis too, a GFC, um, in about a, oh, a couple of decades before the revolution. Uh, the wealthy had um, been putting lots of money into what was in fact a Ponzi scheme and they'd lost it. So, yeah, his, his parallels are very interesting. Um, yeah, um, we can get into the causes of the French Revolution. If you are interested, don't check our website. Go, <laughs> go, go to a bookshop. Um, but fundamentally, uh, in the end... Uh, not the causes of the French Revolution, but the effects of the Revolution were a very large number of very disgruntled people got up and made a very large number of very rich people very uncomfortable and very dead. That, that, that is what happened in the French Revolution. And he said one of the problems was that the courtiers, the king, did not let the king know what was going on out there and so therefore he wasn't acting appropriately to respond to their needs. Now, that's, that's back in the French Revolution time. He, Gonski himself, saw his role as being a courtier and speaking truth to power about what was going on. He was shocked and he said, the people in Canberra don't know about this. I will have this review and I will tell them. They need to know this. In 2011, things are pretty bad out there in education land and one of the major problems is inequity. One of the major problems is inequality. One of the major problems is that we are now having a divided society and divided societies have revolutions. And as Jean quite rightly said, talking about financial crisis, this was after the financial crisis of 2008. This is before Trump. This is before Brexit. This is before all that sort of stuff. This is in the days of the 1%. You know, all the rich people, we should take their money. Now, nothing happened, but Gonski was worried. And when I heard him speak in 2015, he says, these parallels are very strong in, in the world, but they are strong in Australia, and that's why I did what I did. And he said, because he's a very, very nice man to himself, he says he did it at potential personal cost, because as a businessman put in to do a review of education of the entire nation of Australia with no education expertise at all, um, if he told power the truth too hard, uh, then he wouldn't get on another board, then he wouldn't be on the board of Telstra or any, he wouldn't be on, you know, he, he, he would lose his position of power. So as a courtier, he himself had a fine line to tread. He had terms of reference and that's how these things always work. There are terms of reference laid down by the politicians and um, they determine the outcome. So you always look at the terms of reference. Now, Mr Gonski is and has been for some time a very close personal friend, not of Tony Abbott, not of Bill Shorten, but a very close personal friend of Malcolm Turnbull, or President Trumbull, as he's called overseas. Um, um, he's a very close personal friend because they come from the same place they would wave at each other across the harbour um, in their various mansions. They, they come from the same place. Now, Turnbull probably himself has never been out there to see what's going on in, in schools in, in, in the greater Australia. But Gonski, for, for a year and a half, did a tour, and he, he, I think he toured about 60 or 70 schools around Australia. So he knows what's going on out there. Um, he knows a bit about what's going on out there. He's also advised by Ken Boston, and Ken Boston is part of this new review, which is very interesting. It's interesting that Boston has agreed to be part of it because he washed his hands at many of the things that the politicians have done with the Gonski mm -hmm. Review since. 
but we'll be coming to that in a, in a bit, probably next, probably next week, because this is going to be an ongoing issue. Mm. Um, now, I'll just, just get, get back to Gonski and my views about what I think is going on. Um, Gonski views the whole problem in, in, in French revolutionary and historic terms. You've got to do something about improving the education or you're going to have political instability. Maybe not the French Revolution, but significant political instability. And in this, he's along. He's with Soros uh, and he's also uh, in with the OECD. Hmm. Yes, no, you've got, you've got a point there, Jane. Um, but I think the point I'm making is much, much, much more detailed, or much more granular, I should say, and that at the moment in Australia, the major political parties, and the Liberal Party in particular, have very significant political problems. They, who is the base of the Liberal Party? Who are the people who vote for the Liberal Party? The answer is nobody really knows anymore. Things have shifted because the Liberal, the, both political, major political parties are bleeding voters to minor ones because they are seen as politically irrelevant, not walking in step with the needs of um, the Australian population. Not dissimilar to a certain French king who got his head chopped off. Now, Turnbull, I'm sure, would be very pleased to see the world in these terms. And Gonski said, I know what one of your problems is. I'm your mate and I'm telling you, you better do something about this ridiculous inequity that's going on in Australia or you will pay the price politically. You will pay the price not just in terms of winning and losing government, but winning and losing the population and the, and, and the political stability that comes with a representative democracy. And I think Turnbull, maybe to his credit, maybe to his detriment, I don't know, I think Turnbull has responded to this. This is a political win for him. If the Labor Party had come up with this education proposal, oh my goodness, think about it. Oh, the screaming and the yelling. At the moment, there's a lot of screaming and yelling. We've got Catholic bishops jumping up and down saying how it's all sectarian and all the poor teachers in Catholic schools aren't valued and nobody loves them. But if the Labor Party had done it, it'd be straight up sectarian. You hate us people because. Mm. Um, so Turnbull is, in fact, about the only person that can do this at the moment, and he has done it. Now, whether he should be rewarded for it, I'm not sure. There's, the jury is very much still out. And the screaming of the private school lobby is just just winding up. You just wait for the ads on television. You just wait for the for, for the screaming from the various pulpits around around Australia, saying how this is anti-religion and all that sort of stuff. It it it, it will come. Let's see what uh, Jensen in Sydney has to say about it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting. Well, Jean, Jean well, has I have a feeling money. this is a Sydney thing, uh, not a uh, a Melbourne thing, and. Um, as a as a girl from Sydney, uh, I find it very very interesting the eastern suburbs versus the upper north shore of Mr Abbott and Riverview. Yes, well, I can't comment on that. Um, don't know any of those places because I grew up in the west of Sydney, um, which has got nothing to do with anything to do with that. Um, interestingly enough, but Gonski himself back in twenty fifteen. Uh, when he was politically irrelevant, when he probably could feel free to say these things. Because Gonski is, if anything else, not offensive. He is a not offensive person. He doesn't say things stridently. He doesn't make points deliberately. He doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't thump the table when he talks, like we sometimes do here in the Dogs program. He's, he's the opposite of us here in the Dogs. He is a courtier. His job is to not speak truth to power, but to fall within the terms of reference. Now, he's, he himself said... I needed to step out to let people know what was going on and nobody listened. 
and he did God's gift, you know, 1.0 or whatever it is. But he's been brought back. He's been brought back, which I think is fascinating and interesting. And if Boston's come back too, that's even more interesting. Because what's happened is that the argument about what is fair and what is right has shifted significantly from 2011 to 2017. Mm. We now live in, well, not the end of days. We, we live in a time when the inequity is so blatant, when the unfairness is just so obviously wrong, that Turnbull can get up there and say, we're going to take some money off some wealthy private schools yeah. because they are overfunded. And the response to that from those wealthy private schools is, hey, hang on, we're not over... No, they can't say that because everybody agrees. Everybody agrees that private schools are getting too much money. Nobody disagrees with that. Now, to frame this in a larger debate, and Jean can tell us a little bit more about this, about the arguments backwards and forwards between what is good for the nation, what is good for public schools, and what is good for private schools. In the old days, the arguments used by the enemies of the dogs, and they saw themselves that way, don't you worry, the enemies of the dogs would say, you can't say that because you're being sectarian, you're being anti-religious. You can't say those sorts of things. And the dogs said, no, we're not, we're just talking about basic equity stuff. But we were considered to be fringe dwellers, we were considered to be sectarian, we were considered to be all sorts of things. Um, those, Those debates didn't wash. The second argument they put was, if you give money to private schools, that's saving money for the government because it's, it's money you're not giving to a state school. And that is to say that because parents contribute to the education of children in private schools, the government has to, doesn't have to cough up quite as much as it would have done if you'd have to, they, the government had paid for all of it. They're not saying that anymore either because that's not true. They're admitting either. it's at least 77% and some schools are getting 200 plus percent of their funding. If you take the median, if you take the mean, if you look at it any way you like, um, you, the only way you can make that argument these days is to cherry pick perhaps two schools which aren't next to each other, which where, where, the, where the public school gets more and the private school gets less. But as the research has been shown, and, and this is where the allies of the dogs, with Bonner and Shepherd and Cobalt, have come out with these figures over and over again to say that private schooling does not save the government money. That argument has fallen away. And now we're to the bit where Turnbull himself has come out and said, look, some people are overfunded, we're going to take some money off. Some people are getting more than they want. We're not going to take money off, we're just not going to give you any more. We're not going to index you. You're just going to sit there for a while because you're getting too much. And the only argument that the private school lobby now has, and they might come up with a different one, is choice. Okay, the choice has always been there. You know, education is a marketplace. If you don't have choice, it's not going to be efficient, and you have to have a system that's efficient because if it's efficient, then it must be effective, and if it's effective, it must be accountable, all of which, of course, is rubbish. Um, But the choice argument, you know, you can't tell me what to do. Um, parents, you know, can't tell parents what to do. Parents have the right to choose to send their child to an elite private school. Every child, every parent has that right, except, of course, for the parents who can't because they don't have enough money. But the next argument, and I think it's fascinating, and Mr Fox, I'm going to finish with this, Mr Fox, the the person who's responsible for all the Catholics in the ACT, um, he says it's terrible because all the poor teachers in Catholic schools are being undervalued and it's rude to them. So you have to keep over you have to keep overfunding their schools. Not funding, you have to keep overfunding their schools because you'll hurt the teachers' feelings if you don't.
And I think if that's the point, I think that's the point at which Turnbull will sit there and grin because if that's their best argument, then he's on a political winner. He is attempting to get the political middle ground. He is attempting to listen to the voice of the people so they don't rise up, as they did in 1789, and chop off his head, Um, which I think is an exaggeration. But that's the way Gonski himself dealt with these issues. You've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll be back next week, don't you worry. But if you're interested in us in the meantime, you can contact us at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Until next week, of course, from Gene, myself and Dale, it's bye for now.